Uh, so you're fucking Scandinavian? You look Italian. Well, I, I'm mostly Italian. I am mostly Italian. I'm quarter. That's Scandinavian. like me. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I got, but I got the more Scandinavian looks. Scan, well, I'm, I'm like a, uh, just like him. A mix of everything. Scandinavian and Italian. Yeah, I'm uh, Scandinavian and Italian. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly it. And so. I'm just all German, so I don't have any. There's no, there's no mutt. There's no mixture of anything. That's it's that's just, it. it's all German. So. Hey, this is Robert Caldwell from Caldwell Cigars. You're now listening to the Burndown Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Burndown. Today's guest, this is one of my favorite cigars ever. We talk about it all the time on the Burndown Podcast. And this gentleman right here is one of the leading, one of the top cigar manufacturers yeah. in the industry. Hell yeah. That man is from Caldwell Cigars. His name is Robert Caldwell. Robert, thank you so much for joining us here on the Burndown Podcast. What's going on? Not much, man. Thank you for having me. Bro, it's an honor and a pleasure to have it's... a guy like you on the Burndown. We've been meaning to have you on for quite some time. I know we've been talking for a little bit. But I'm glad you were able to find some time to hang out with us. Yeah, I've I've had a really fucked up schedule the last uh, several months. Well, we we so. appreciate you taking the time out of your busy busy schedule. I can't imagine how busy your schedule is. You said you just sold the house and everything. So on top of the cigar industry and all the personal stuff, we appreciate you taking the time uh, to sit here with the Burnout Podcast. Uh, what are we smoking before we dive right in? It's I me. Mean, obviously, we're smoking Coldwell cigars. Obviously. Okay. Let's, let's ask the man himself. What cigar do you have tonight? Smoking uh, Instant Classic, which is one of my lost and found brands, but it's a Corona box press. We only made 100 boxes. And uh, I didn't know I had any, but I'm cleaning my warehouse and I found one single cigar. Nice. <laughs> so, a Corona box press. So that's a unique size. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I got the, I have one of Justin's favorite. It's the Blind Man Bluff Maduro Toro. It's a, one of my favorite too. It's a good. It's a good stick. When you don't know what you want, Caldwell, Blind Man's Bluff are usually all the humidors that I go to. And it's a nice, at least in New York, it's nine, ten, at least it was oh, I nine, love ten bucks. And I'm smoking the uh, Blind, Man's, uh, Blind Man's Bluff Robusto, um, not the Maduro, the regular. But this actually is one of my go-to, all, I talk about this all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's great that we have you on the podcast here because when everybody asks, you know, what's one of your go-to sticks? There's always two that I bring up. It's Blind Man's Bluff. And then I bring up the Flor de las Antillas. Uh, they're just two go-to sticks, always have in my humidor, and I always recommend them to people. And this was actually one of the first cigars that I've ever smoked in our local lounge yeah. uh, called Matador Cigars. This was the first one I've smoked there. Um, so I wish my favorite out of the Colwell line is the uh, Long Live the King. I, I couldn't find anywhere. I went to my place. I live in uh, Lower Westchester, and none of the humidors had them. So I have to, uh, or you might have to have a, a talking with some of the lounges up in uh, yeah. Lower Westchester. I'm like, you guys have Long Live the King? They're like, no. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Um, so I had a, I had a blind man's bluff, thankfully, in my humidor. So that's what I'll be having. So let's um, so let's start this off. I mean, the, the best way to start off any interview is start at the beginning, right? So tell us how did. Coldwell Cigars start? Because you had a pretty interesting story. I remember you, it wasn't really making cigars in the first place. You actually started a different business that was around cigars, but it wasn't necessarily making cigars, right? Yep. So tell us about that. Exactly How did you get started? 
I uh, I've been a cigar consumer since I was twenty, or excuse me, since I was twelve years old. I was gonna say twenty something years. Um, and fifteen, sixteen years ago, I had a friend of mine that was working retail that I was buying cigars from, and he was dissatisfied with his job. And then coincidentally, I went out the next night. It was my birthday. I went to dinner, left the cigars in the car, and I was forced to order cigars off a restaurant menu that were all fucked up, horrible bugs, plugs, like everything was wrong with them. And then I went home that night and tried to find, this is pre-smartphone, so I went like on my computer and tried to find the company that provided cigars to the hospitality industry. And then it didn't exist, so I just was like, okay, whatever. And then the next night, I went out uh, with what what is now one of my business partners, lit a cigar at a restaurant, and manager comes over, brings me an ashtray, he's like, oh, it smells so good. And then I just like, just bullshitting them. I'm like, oh, I got a company, we do restaurant and hotel cigar distribution. We write the menus. We provide the ashtray. Like you just pitched this guy this kind of like bullshit off the cuff concept. And then he said, okay, I got 12 restaurants. Can you set me up on Monday? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so, so did you even a, have the business at the time or are you just nothing. shooting this off the dome? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. So. What a salesman. Luckily, I did it all. I did it all in consignment. So, you know, they didn't have to like give me a check right away because there was no bank account but it set up a so monday i go and i you know buy a bunch of fucking tabletop humidors cigars all this shit and set up all these accounts set up a business call the kid and i'm like hey we're in business so my idea was i was going to be kind of the, the investor i guess and then he was going to run it that lasted like three weeks and three weeks in he said you know i need a paycheck i can't just work for for um equity in the business so i nights and weekends i'd do this thing and then so we got up to about 100 hotels and restaurants um that was really like the i think 140 was our peak accounts it's a good business because there's a lot of margin in it but you get fucked like left and right especially in miami just guys don't pay if it's you know it's a, you need to get a check when you drop shit off so we trimmed way back and then focused on like you know nice hotels and hotel chains and shit so i got into the industry that way because i started running that full time um, and then from there, I, I became very good friends with Christian Aroa, who now owns CLD and Asylum. But at the time, it, the, the family had sold the Camacho brand and he was working for the company and we became you know, very good friends, I guess. And then I ended up converting a warehouse that I had in Miami where I stored my cigars into a factory and started rolling cigars there in Miami, built a brand that lasted about six months. It was tremendously successful. But we didn't get along. And then, so I just walked away. Um, that went out of business, I think, like a month after I left. And then it, over the course of the next few months, I built a concept for Caldwell. And then we launched that probably about six or eight months after the business with Christian. So none of it was by design. I didn't uh, intend to get in the cigar industry. The manufacturing thing was kind of like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, let's turn this into a cigar factory. I mean, I never intended to do what I do. It was all kind of fell into place very accidentally and serendipitously, I guess, because I enjoy most of it. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like wake up. Because guys ask me all the time, they're like, oh, if somebody wants to get in the industry, what would you tell them? And I'm like, stay the fuck away. <laughs> I think it's a very hard industry to break into. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think if I would have planned it, I probably wouldn't have succeeded. But it was just kind of a accidental, you know. Yeah, it's funny how things work like that. Sometimes yeah. you just like step in shit and you're like, oh, you know, this is that. You find success, you keep continuing to find success, and you hear other stories, and you're like, wait, you had that much of a hard time doing it, or it's that hard to get into it? And it's sometimes life and business is just like that. You just kind of just fall into it. And it, mm -hmm. so and it sounds like 
you just kind of let it happen naturally, right? You didn't plan yeah. anything. You were just sitting at the dinner, didn't even have a business model and just said, hey, you know, popped in your head, hey, this might be a good idea. And one thing led to another. And here you are with this massively successful cigar and, uh, cigar company uh, manufacturer. So letting things just flow, letting it happen naturally, I feel like is the best. Best. I mean, we had something where we launched, when we had our cigar, we didn't really plan it. It just kind of somebody came to us and said, hey, we want to make your cigars. You ever think about it? And one thing led to another, and then here we are with our cigar talking about the next one and the third one. So, um, but that that's I still can't get over the fact that you sat down with the guy and you just mine, yeah. just kind of eh, bullshitted with him, and he goes, "All right, set me up on Monday." You're like, "Fuck, okay." <laughs> there now goes my you, weekend. Were you were you hesitating? <laughs> were you like, "Ah, shit, I got to figure it out," or you're like, "All right, I got this. I'll figure it out." No, I I do well under pressure, and um, like I'm a bullshitter, man. Like I, you know. I think that's what life is. I, you know, I, I have this conversation with people a lot, but I mean, you know, you're like, you're in your fucking twenties. You're full of shit. Yeah. You just got to push <laughs> forward and back it up. So, I mean, I would say, I, I mean, I get called a lot of things and I often get called a bullshitter and I'd say that I am a pretty good bullshitter. Um, but you have to back it up, you know? So it's like, okay, you go out and you do this and then it's, you're full of shit. And then all of a sudden you have a real business. Or you start, you know, I started manufacturing cigars, you know, kind of in a full shit way. And then all of a sudden you have a cigar manufacturing business and things. I think that, um, you know, when you work hard and you have a success that you can build on, it kind of perpetuates itself. And if you continue working hard, you continue growing. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, oh, and, and what I think oftentimes what looks like was very easy because I was with my sales guys the other day, um, a couple of my sales guys on like a sales training trip and we were at a retailer and the retailer was talking about somebody and he's like, have you ever met one of those guys that anything they touch turns to gold? And both my reps like point at me at the same time. And I'm like, I appreciate that it looks that way, but that's not the way yeah. it was. And so for, for as many successes as I've had in life, I've had way more failures. It's just the, the chips were stacked up behind the successful ventures instead of behind the ones that failed. Mm. But that's just understanding yourself and where you are in life and saying, okay, this shit's probably not, it's not going to like fucking take them off the table, let it fail and then move on to the next thing. And I think, you know, being a, you know, like a talented bullshitter, because I mean, at the end of the day, like anything you do in life, if you're in sales, you're full of fucking shit. <laughs> you know, any sales job is just like, you know, we all sell the same thing. Um, whether or not you like my cigars or Florida last or any of these fucking brands, it's all up to your particular palate. But why do you smoke mine? You smoke mine for a certain reason. So that's me, the marketer's job, but the sales guy's job is to convince you that mine is better, but they're all the fucking same. Mm. So, but I think in terms of like my history, it's, you know, you, you got to know when to fold. I mm -hmm. think that's a very important thing. And you see a lot of guys and we do it too, but it's like, I believe so strongly in this brand. So am I going to fucking follow it to my death or am I just going to cut and run and focus on what it is that's working? And a great example is Blind Man's Bluff. I mean, that's a cigar that works very well. We've had other cigars that haven't worked well. And it's like, fuck, I don't like I love this cigar, but you got to fold. Mm -hmm. And that could be business. That could be relationship. That could be, you know, anything. So I think that that's like the most important part of my history, I think, is, you know, when to fucking lick your wounds and just run the other direction. That's you a, know, from cigars to business to anything. And that's a great piece of advice for anybody that's listening or watching in just life in general or trying to be successful. Is And it's it's a, an old adage, just knowing when to hold and knowing when to fold them, right? It's knowing when 
shit ain't working, you fold it. But when shit is working, you double down and you keep pressing it. And you keep, like you said, you stack the chips behind the shit that is working and you fold the shit that isn't working. And just being able to realize that. So like I said, you may have 10 failures, but you folded all of them. And the one success, you pressed it and pressed it and pressed it. And that is what everybody sees like, oh, it's so easy. Yeah, but no, I had 10 other ones that didn't do shit. I just yep. I just folded them because I knew they yeah. weren't going to go anywhere. It reminds me of there's a there's a popular image out there and it's a picture of an iceberg. An mm-hmm. iceberg is just right above the water and it's like you know the top says like success and underneath the iceberg it's like all the different failures because you don't really see how big the iceberg is underneath the water and you just see a little bit of the top and that's yeah like the successful portion of it. Where did where did I was you... having it? Go ahead. Well, I was so I was just to continue on that that tone for a second. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that um was starting a business and he had commented to me about something like that. He's like, well, you know, you're so fortunate because you had this and this succeeded. I'm like, yeah, well, fine. So I'm like, when you look at me, you see the guy on the top of the building, right? Which is the tip of that iceberg. But what you don't realize, like, and so you think everybody just like all these people are up there and they all fucking levitated and they just arrived up there. Mm -hmm. But none of us arrived up there. It's one step, one step. Then one or two steps back, three steps forward, mm-hmm. and over the course of your life, you finally get up there, only to realize, to me, that to you looking at me, I'm on top of the building. But what you don't realize is that there's like 10 more flights of stairs mm-hmm. really to get to the top of that building. But I think a lot of people in life, it's just like, man, if I had just this, I would have made it. And, and back to my own history, like, you know, the, the where I am right now, I was talking to my wife about that a couple nights ago. And so, like, like I mentioned to you guys at the beginning of the show, I just sold a, my, my, my house in Miami. And that house was really a reflection of, like, my life. You know, I've worked so hard to get to the point where I could buy the house. I bought it uncomfortably. Like, it was a good purchase when I bought it. But, it, you know, I was like, ah, oh, it's a little bit of a risk. And then when you finally sell it and you're able to, you know, reap the reward of having made consecutive good decisions, you look back and you're like, man, that really is a reflection of, you know, what I've been able to do in life to get me to this point in time. And and you reflect back and you're like, you know, all these failures and all this hard work, but just keep pushing through is when you get to the point where you're like, okay, you know, but it doesn't stop there. It's like, you know, and, and again, to somebody that's, that's looking, it's very easy to say, you know, and even for me, it's like, man, that guy, that guy didn't fucking make it. That guy failed 400 times. And the 401st time he made it. Mm-hmm. And now he fucking made it. And if you look at like almost any, any one of these big business empresarials that we all idolize, none of them had the easy road. I mean, every single like major tech company out there that everybody talks about these days, every single one of them started out here and ended up over here because they were intelligent enough to fold, 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 pivot, pivot, pivot. And then all of a sudden it's over here and they look like fucking geniuses because they did this. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. They did 400 fucking things that failed, and then that one stuck. Yep. And then, yeah, they started that in their garage, and they're worth fucking $3 trillion. But the fact of the matter is, that was like a 10-year process of failure, 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 until finally they got it. And I think that, you know, in life, when you have short-term, fast-coming success, that leaves you very quickly. And back to correlate to that cigar industry, like when we started, we were very successful, as a brand immediately, but then we had a lot of hurdles. Like we had back order, we had supply chain issues. We had, you know, all the shit that we went through to get to where we are now, which is a, 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 you know, a staple brand, if you will. And then you see a lot of guys that come up and they blow up and they're on everybody's radar. And they say, what the fuck happened to that company? Mm -hmm. And that's the proof of 
how difficult it is to continue. It's, it's, it's like Matt Booth says, hand-to-hand combat. So what we do, I mean, if you're not Fuente or fucking Davidoff or AJ or Rocky or any of these guys, when you play in our thing, it's hand-to-hand combat. I mean, you fight every day to maintain the, the land that you've taken. Like, this is ours. We got a flag in it, and we have to defend it daily. And that's no easy task. And it's it's something that, you know, oh, like like my guys the other day. Like, oh, he's fucking whatever he touches turns to gold. It's like, motherfucker. You know, and, and back to, so back to my story. I mean, I started my first business with $600, you know, and, and luckily, so back to the house thing, I built that $600 into what I have currently. And, you know, it was a lot of fucking hard work and, you know, a lot of not taking vacations, a lot of working every day, a lot of working every night, a lot of like, you know, I used to go on vacations with friends of mine or like really not vacations, but like I went to a wedding one time that I'd saved my money to be able to go stayed in a friend's house, but I saved the money for the airfare and I brought food with me. And I, some guys were like, you know, like you're on vacation. I mean, like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm eating fucking granola bars. And it was very weird. And I was dating a girl and she thought it was like fucking ridiculous. And I'm like trying to build something. Got to do what you got to so do. That's it. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And even like, you know, my wife and I, to this day, it's like, you know, something big will happen or you'll have a great year. And it's like, there's no celebration. It's just like, okay, how do we improve next year over this past year? That's always the focus. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like it's it's two things that I I really like that you said was, you know, when you get to the top of the building or the top of the mountain, a lot of people from the bottom they look up and like that's where I want to get, but you don't realize that the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next, right? And you got to keep going. And the other thing is that when you went to that wedding, you said, you know, I brought my food and everything, and it's it's in this day and age, I find a lot of people are it's just how the culture is. is everybody wants that instant gratification and they don't want to put the short-term you know sacrifice for the long-term gain you know what i'm saying they want that instant gratification they want that oh i got a little bit of money i'm gonna go buy this instead of no put off what you want now for what you want most later on and that goes to a point of all right i went to this wedding but you know i didn't have the money to, to go out to eat all the time so i'm eating fucking granola bars because th- right now I could I want that big steak dinner, but what I want most is a successful business. So I'm not eating I'm eating fucking granola bars until I can get that successful business. Yeah, right. A lot of people just don't they don't see like we keep saying they don't see the the failures they don't see the small steps they just see the end result and be like oh that guy's lucky you know I could I could probably do that too if I was him but again they don't see the 400 500 mm-hmm. different mistakes obstacles hurdles that you face to get you to that point. Well, what they say, they say that it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Like you see, I mean, we're on YouTube, right? You see a lot of these people on YouTube that, you know, Mr. Beast, biggest YouTube account ever. And everybody goes, oh, you know, that guy popped out of nowhere where he's got millions and millions, hundreds of millions subscribers. I said, yeah, but you don't realize that the guy's been putting out content for like 15 years, 20 years since YouTube started. He was putting content yeah. and had a hundred views. People don't see that video. Go listen to Joe Rogan podcast you know, with him and you'll figure out. They see the out. one video that did 100 million views just yesterday, but they don't see the one that he posted 17, 20 years ago yeah. that did nothing. How did you how did yeah, you yeah. develop that that thought process, that mentality of just kind of just – I wouldn't call it bullshit, but like kind of like street smarts. Like, all right, this works. This isn't work. All right, how am I going to pivot from here? Like, How did you develop that mindset? He grew up in Miami. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, so I've been like – I mean, I, I've been – I've never had a job. I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, 
whether it was like, you know, when I was little, it was like selling, like I, you know, find like grapefruit, mango and shit in the neighborhood and sell them. Like, and oftentimes I'd sell them back to the people whose trees I took them out of. You know, I was like at the golf course, fishing golf balls out of the water, washing cars in the neighborhood. And then I'd hire like neighborhood kids to help me wash cars and I'd give them a cut. You know, I've, so I've always had like that. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been like that kind of hustler. You know, yeah. like, I don't know. Like I used to, like I went to boarding school in Tennessee. I grew up in Miami. So I'd burn like, you know, techno CDs and sell them in fucking Tennessee. And these kids had never heard this shit. So you were grinding. You were just grinding all the time. Yeah. And, and, and also like, I, I just, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about, you know, if you want there, everybody has aspirations in life, but oftentimes our aspirations are dreams. They're not actual obtainable goals. You, and it's very hard to hit a dream without working for yourself. So you can hit a goal, like you can have a comfortable life, whatever. But I mean, a dream is, is getting to a point where you achieve a goal is, is something where you can check a box. Mm -hmm. But getting to a point where you're living the dream is obtainable only by answering to yourself. Cause then you really, you're the, your reality is at your fingertips. And, and I've, I think I, I mean, part of it's probably just like, I'm a, I was a bad kid. I grew up a bad kid. I was like a punk, never liked to work for people. Like never, like I just never liked any of that stuff. So I think a lot of it came from that. I'm an avid reader. I'm an intelligent person. I don't like, I don't watch TV. I read. Um, I don't own a TV. I haven't had a TV for over 10 years. I, I read every, I read a lot. Um, That's so I mean, I'm just day. thirsty. Yeah. I'm thirsty for knowledge. I like to understand shit. Um, you know, I got like, like our packaging is amazing. So I don't, I don't hire people to do like my packaging. I conceptualize all our packaging. I study design. I study marketing. I study architecture. So a lot of it's just my own appetite to do what I find interesting, which is building shit. Um, and then figuring out how to do the other side, you know, like to me, it's, I like to solve problems. So like, you know, problem one is develop packaging. Problem two is develop cigar. Problem three is sell cigar. Problem four is put out fires. So to me, the constant motion of, of operating a company is very energizing, I'd say. And, but when it comes to just, I mean, I don't know, you learn shit in life and you like when something happens, you either learn from it or you don't. And I'm constantly the type, like anything that's happened in my life, I kind of see as something that happened for a purpose. So, you know, when I was younger, like I worked in real estate um, earlier in life and I had a lot of, you know, like I had all my money tied into real estate and stock market when I was younger and I was very successful. I worked my fucking ass off and I lost everything. And I'm like, okay. And so that's when, it, when I started the cigar company, I was working commercial real estate and uh, I ended up then doing the cigar company full time for like nothing, like nothing. Like I was making nothing and I'd come from making a lot of money, but I'd lost everything and I was unhappy. And then, so I learned from that. Okay. You know, there's certain risks that you don't take in life. Don't put all your eggs in one fucking basket. Like, you know, you just learn a lot of shit. And I think that a lot of times the challenges that one faces in life, and this is also a character thing, but I mean, when you get fucking, you know, when you get trucked and cut off at the knees, what do you do to get back up? And did you learn your lesson, lesson excuse me, or is your confidence and or arrogance just going to like put you right back to where you were? And then you're going to get fucking cut off at the knees again. So I think regardless of what your path in life is, we all have similar challenges. And, and this, to me, I mean, it could be from a blue collar worker to a white collar worker to an entrepreneur to anybody along the chain. We all face similar um, 
problems in life. And I think that you can learn from everything and then how you apply those to your life going forward then matters. And something very great was told to me when I was, I was made like 29 or something. And it was by my uncle. And it was when I was exiting my partnership with Christian Aroa. And I called him and I'm like, you know, like I'm fucking walking from this thing. And he's a guy I respect very much. And he's like, well, he's like, I'd try to work it out if I was you. He's like, you're fucking old. You got like one more strike and then you're out. You're about to turn 30. Once you turn 30, you better be in motion. If not, you never will be. And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> and that stuck with me very much. And it gave me a lot of, you know, energy to make sure that this was successful. Because I really much, and now retrospectively, I agree with everything he said. I mean, if you start out at 40, 41, 42, it's very hard to compound what you've done with your life and, and build kind of like this bigger trajectory forward. Whereas if you start earlier in life, then you you have more momentum, I guess, to move forward and yeah. kind of carry mm-hmm. you into your 40s. Yep. I, and I think that that was, you know, because like, okay, let's say I'm starting from zero right now. I got to rebuild everything I did the last 10 or 15 years. And so maybe I'll get back to where I am, but it's going to take me a long time. And do I have the energy? And if all those answers are yes, then great. At 60 years old, I'm going to be relaxed. The fuck is that? You don't want to be relaxed at 60. You want to be relaxed like at 40 or 45. So, you know, I don't know. I went off topic a little bit. No, it's, no, it's good. This. I think, you know, what you said is, is you got to learn from everything. Everybody, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what position you're in, you could be at the bottom of the totem pole. You can be all the way at the fucking top. You could own the totem pole. Everybody faces problems, and it's how do how do you react to those problems, okay? Or I should say, how do you respond to those problems? We interviewed somebody a while back, and his name was Ray Cash Care. God, I was just thinking, right? I was, just and he and that. he said that every every there's only there's two things in life: there's W's and there's L's, right? There's wins, and then he says everybody says there's losses. He goes, it's not; it's lessons. He says there's wins. And then there's lessons. Let's go ground level. You can only do two things in life. All the people listening here, two things and two things only. You can W or you can L. That's it. You're either Wing or you're Ellen. What does W mean? Tell me. Win. Win. That's right. If you ain't winning, what are you doing? Learning. Learn. Yeah. You are the only two that have gotten that fucking right. Everybody else has been programmed to lose. And this is what I tell people. You learn. The only way you lose is if you quit, then it makes you a fucking quitter. He says, so whatever, when you get hit, like you said, when you get gut punch or you get your knees cut out or your legs cut out from under you, he goes, are you going, it's only a loss if you don't learn from it. And like you said, you can learn from everything and then you take what you've learned and you move forward and then continuing to compound on top of that. And that's how you become successful. And it takes time. And a lot of people don't realize they just take the punch and they go, ah, I'm done. And it's like, no, you, what can you learn from this? What can you do differently so that the next time when this problem happens, you're ready for it, you're prepared for it, and you can solve it and then go on to the next one. And then the next one you might get hit and you can say, all right, what can I learn from this? Come back to the problem again, solve it, move on to the next one. What are your um, What are some of your favorite books that you've read that you learned a lot from? Dude, I was just going to ask the same thing too, man. <laughs> I was like, you read a lot. So what's some of the books? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, I mean – I think in terms of staying on the subject that we are Richard Branson, every fucking goddamn book he's written, I think is amazing because they're all like, you know, they're all like very aspirate. They're like, they're amazing books, but they're, they're, they're easy reads. They're aspirational. And it's like, 
you know, just some bohemian dude with a stupid idea <laughs> that all of a sudden is fucking Richard Branson. Yeah. You know, and Richard Branson, I think, is a great guy because he's got like 200 businesses that are successful that are multi-million dollar businesses, but you only know about a couple of them. But he's just like over and over and over again successful. And so his books are like, okay, here's how I got there. But it's going through all of what we just discussed on his personal path, you know, or like, you know, hoping this check doesn't fucking bounce. And then, you know, like just wild shit. And then very much thinking out of the box because everything that he's been most successful in have been incredibly competitive businesses with very, very difficult barriers to break through to not even succeed, but to get off the ground. And so I think that his books are in particular like very good, you know, kind of fun business biographies that anybody can relate to and also offers kind of a behind the scenes look at, at, at one of these titans that you're like, mm. everything that motherfucker turns to gold. You know, it touches, turns to gold. Like he has Necker Island that's down in the British Virgin Islands. <clears throat> and so, I mean, that shit's worth like $150 million, private island. He bought it for a few hundred grand because he responded to one of these like, you know, we'll fly you here, you know, to try to sell you the island thing. So he wanted like a, a weekend getaway with his, with his girlfriend. And he had 800 grand that he had access to via loans. So he made a bid for like $800,000 or whatever the number was for this island. And they, I mean, they, they're like, go the fuck back. I mean, they sent him back. Like they, they like, just pack your shit and get the fuck out of here. And then sooner or later, there were no buyers and there was an economic downturn and the bank had to get rid of this property. And the only actual offer that they'd had that was backed up, like he, they knew he had access to these funds was Richard Branson. Wow. So they called him and they're like, come get the keys to your private island, which coincidentally, when COVID hit and, you know, air travel stopped, he did not get bailed out by the United Kingdom government because he's not a UK tax resident. He's a resident of the British Virgin Islands, which is a territory. And so they bailed out all the fucking airlines, but not Virgin. And they said, fuck you. You live in a tax haven. We're not bailing you out. So he actually put his island up. Is collateral to get a loan to keep Virgin going forward through the pandemic, really? which is really fucking amazing. So, but it's just that's back to the compounding of of collecting these opportunities in life. Where later in life you're like, shit, I needed that, and now you can margin it to keep mm -hmm. another thing afloat. So, I think his books are fucking brilliant. And then there's a book that's called The Apple Experience that's written about how Apple conducts retail, which is very interesting. Um, and I think that's also very relevant to anybody in life and business. And my favorite thing of that, and now once you read the book, it pisses you off when you go into Apple because you know how they're fucking you. But one of the things <laughs> well, I knew I knew they were there, fucking us regardless. Oh, okay. <laughs> they have this thing of like constantly resetting the timeline. So you walk in and like, you know, somebody's like, hey, uh, Cheryl, how's it going? You know, what are you in for? And you're like, my fucking iPhone broke. Fuck you. And they're like, well, sit over here and look at this iPad. And Billy will help you. And then Billy comes over 10 minutes later and people keep making contact with you, new people. And every time somebody makes contact with you, it's like an offer of looking at iPod, I've, whatever the fuck, or like they're doing a photo, like whatever. But they keep mentally resetting your timeline. So by the time an hour later, when they actually see you, you feel like you haven't been waiting that long. So it's all about how they operate customer service and they're the best ones at doing it because they have the highest, uh, 
gross sales of any retail outlet in the world via their stores. So that's a really interesting book because it's all through like the customer service experience of Apple, which everybody's had. Like, you might be angry when you walk in, but by the time you walk out, you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad, but you're there for an hour and a half. Yep. But once you read the book, it ruins it for you because you're like, I know, know you, doing, motherfucker. I, read the book. I, know <laughs> I know what's going on. I read the book. Just exactly. My damn headphones. <laughs> you almost want to walk into the store and be like, yeah. You say, I read the book. Don't give me no fucking iPad. Put me to the front of the line and yeah. fix my goddamn iPhone. I would just bring the book with me. Be like, listen, I read it. I know the gimmick. Just get me. I'm in the loop. Yeah. I'm in the loop. That's pretty wild. I didn't realize he that you know, that's out there. Because I'm sure that's. Yeah. Because like you said. <laughs> we I, made our entire company read it because we practiced that at trade shows. Because we're we're understaffed. I mean, we're not we're a goodish sized company, but we get a lot busier than we have people for. So I make everybody read that book that works for me, so that when we come to a trade show or events, you never have anybody leaving. Like, you know, I stood around for fifteen minutes, nobody helped me. So we we use that as kind of like uh, teaching, if you will. Mm-hmm. So we we do like mandatory reading lists, and everybody that works with us or for us has to read that book. You know, I like that a mandatory reading list. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, I like that. Most people don't like to read. Like, how, how do you? How it's do you a shame. It is a shame too. How, how do you know everyone reads a book? How do you know everyone? We, we have uh, we have like conversations uh, about the book, and you can tell. <laughs> you yeah. can certainly tell when how somebody's read. Yeah. I remember being like back in high school. You can always tell when people read the book and read didn't. You had to write a book report. Yeah. yeah. Did you read the book? Yeah, yeah, I read the book. All right, what did it say in chapter? And then one? usually, <laughs> usually I'll like. Like they'll say, because sometimes they bullshit you, and then I'll start asking them like follow up questions to know whether or not they actually read it. Yep, that's funny too, because it's like you get the 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 bullshitters that you can bullshit your way around. Like for instance, okay, in high school, you read a book, right? You got to write a book report. You could bullshit. You can read like a one chapter, read a middle chapter, read the, and you can kind of bullshit your way around a, a book report, get a B, and, and walk yeah. out the class. But if you need to really, like in this case, you're required to read this to comprehend in order to do something, not just write a book report and get, but in order to be able to work at the company and do the trade shows. And you can certainly tell when somebody's bullshitting you mm. about a topic that they don't know about. Yeah. Okay. Because if if they know about, they'll they'll encourage questions and they ask me about this chat, ask me about that one, ask me. About, you can certainly tell when I think people the are bullshitting thing is, you. Is like you said, follow up questions. Like, yep. yeah, you can ask them one question; they'll probably be prepared for it, and then you'd be like, "All right, let me see how good you are," and they'd be like, "What about this?" And they're like, "Uh, uh, uh I forgot. I, I, I forgot about that part." It's pretty interesting. I'll, we'll probably have to do that one day once we get some employees and I can read books. Oh, I think it's a big thing because a lot of nowadays nobody. I, I would I would say that less than ten percent of the population reads uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. I just started reading books maybe four years ago. Like really reading. Like I would make my mom buy me all the Harry Potters, but I would never read them. I just wanted them because I thought they were cool and I would never touch them. I thought reading was like such a waste of time. And then not until I was in school and I was learning about business and idolized some certain businessmen, I started reading. Like maybe these guys are onto something. Maybe yep. I started reading the book or two to see what's going on. And you know what it was that did it for me was when you start, like you get into that, like obviously we're all entrepreneurial mindset and we have that growth mindset and we have the the goals and the plans and, and we want to be very successful. And you start researching other people like you had researched, you know, Richard Branson, you start reading his thing and you look at all of these successful people that are at the top of their industries and you look at what they do and all of them 
read books. All of them. Yeah. They do more reading than scrolling and watching, watching right? Yeah, they might watch a movie. They might watch it. But they're reading every single day. Warren Buffett reads the Wall Street Journal front to back every single day. Mm. Okay? And it's you look at all these guys and you say, well, shit. If this is what these guys are doing, then maybe I should probably be doing the same thing. Hey, I can read too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's when you kind of flip the switch. You're like, all right, maybe I should put the movies and the TV down and pick up a freaking book and start reading you know, some self-help books, some business books, some even pleasure books, just reading in general. It's it's good for the mind. It's good for the soul. It keeps you uh, intelligent as opposed to mind-numbing tele- uh, all day long. Yeah. Do you, do you try to find employees and people that work for you that are are hungry, that are willing to listen, and you can kind of not mold them, but like, you know, you obviously have a lot of information. You can be very informative. Do you try, obviously try to find people that are willing to take on that information? Yeah. Um, we're like very much a sink or swim company. So, you know, and, and to be fair, like on our sales force, I had a sales manager until about a year and a half ago and he did all the hiring and we got a couple of guys left that are very good. Um, but in like effectively, if you know, it's like hit the ground running, find your fucking place or get out of the way. So we've gone through our fair share of employees. And I think that the commonality now is that just everybody's kind of like running for the same, you know, running the same race or fighting the same fight. And I think that we're very helpful with, with guys that work with us, you know, to make sure that they, ha- you know, help them find their place. But sometimes people just don't. But it, we're very, I think we're very encouraging. Like today, I mean, speaking of books, like I sent a dozen or 15 books. Um, like, I, like I mentioned, I sold my house, so I had a library. Mm-hmm. So I sent like 15, 20 books to all the employees that I thought were relevant, but I like selected for each person as well as, um, cool. you know, the guys that work here in the office. But a lot of it's just like, you know, uh, like everybody's got the same thing in common and we're all fighting towards a common goal and then let's find a solution together towards it. And we do have from time to time weak links and sometimes it's me. Um, and then I think we work together very much as a team to like uplift each other and just move forward and just, you know, we're all, we're all trying to get to the same finish line, but we all have to cross it together. Yeah. So, you know, some companies I feel like maybe have, you know, the, the, guys who are trying to outshine their coworkers and we don't have that, which is really cool. You know, our, our guys are very much uplifting or we'll cover for each other, you know, cause sometimes I'll, I'll just like, I, I, I get out there and I'm like, I'm going to fucking, you know, yeah, you just like, somebody's going to get punished today because somebody fucked up and I'm going to sniff it out. And then I get like these fucking brick walls and I'm like, but did you know that <laughs> this happened? And they're like, no. And I'm like, mm. I know that you, you know what I mean? So, but that's very cool. You can smell it. You know, the fabric. Yeah. It's like, we're not strings. We're a fabric and people look out for each other. So that's cool. No, that's good. That's a, that's a good, you know, that's a good atmosphere. That's a good mentality to have. Cause you know, ultimately environment and the people in an organization, the people, the people are what run a successful company. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily the person who owns it, the person who started it. If they have employees, if they don't have people below them that are doing just as much work or even harder, you know, you don't have a good atmosphere and they don't have a good mentality and then it's not as successful as it's going to be. Well, it's like you said in the in the beginning um, in the cigar industry, it's like everybody, you know, sells the same shit, right? It's, it's you know, whatever suits your palate, but at the end of the day, it's all the same shit and it's who are the people behind the company mm-hmm. that are selling and getting others to buy it, right? It's the people of the company. I mean, 
granted, it's all cigars. It's all certain cigars will fit to certain palates, but it's at the end of the day, it's the people, right? And and it, no matter what industry you're in, when you purchase um, something or a product from somebody, you're more so purchasing the person, right? Because you want to have a relationship with the person that's selling. Like if I have somebody who's coming to me and it's got guy over guy A and guy B, but guy B is a fucking asshole, I don't honestly don't give a shit. He could have the best product in the world, but if he's an asshole, I don't want to work with him every single day or every month when I have to reorder. I want to work with guy A who's so friendly, who's super knowledgeable, who helps me out, who's always responsive. I want to work with him. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work with guy B. So that's kind of like, guy B. yeah, fuck guy B. So speaking of Brandon, as a guy who started smoking cigars, maybe really, what was it? What are we in? 2021? 20, I have no fuck. Five years ago. Point. I was always big on labels. I always chose my cigars based on what the label looked like because I had no. I thought every cigar was a Cuban cigar when I walked in a humidor. And I was like, "Well, how do they sell cigars if everything's illegal in here?" So, how do you come up? And I think you touched on it a little bit. How do you develop the logos? How did you come up with the names? Like, where did that whole mindset come from? A blind man's bluff. Like, this is an awesome, awesome logo. So, I mean, <laughs> like broad strokes. I built a cigar factory in Wynwood in Miami, which at the time Wynwood was like. It wasn't Wynwood. It was the fucking ghetto, um, which now it's a, like incredibly relevant art district. And when I went into Wynwood, it was, there were a lot of artists there, which it turned into like this kind of hip art district. But the artists were there because there was cheap rent so or free rent. So I, I, I became very friendly with a lot of artists. And, and very like in a very cool way, Wynwood would have you know, guys come from all over the world because there's all these warehouses and they paint these murals and they did it just to have their shit seen. So I really clung on to one of the artists whose name's Evoca One. He's a fucking brilliant artist that was there at the time. And he and I became very close friends. And he did like our Long Live the King label. He did um, Blind Man's Bluff. He did a lot of the, the creative work for us on the artwork side. And I spent a lot of time with this guy and I traveled all over the world with him. Like the Dominican Republic, went to Italy, went like just all over to, to like art shows and shit. And I started seeing shit through his lenses, if you will. And I walked down the street with him and he's taking a picture of something. I'm like, the fuck are you taking a picture of? He's like, I like the font that they used or the color combination or like weird shit like that. And then I started seeing what he saw. So I have, I guess, a very good creative side that I never knew I had. And it took me like if you would have tried to tell me how to access it, I never would have found it. But by being alongside somebody and starting to like, you know, the blurry vision becomes straight and I start seeing the things he saw. And then I started hearing the things he heard. So, you know, like a lot of our branding and brand reference stuff, it comes from other places. So it comes from outside the industry. Maybe I'm listening to a song and there's, you know, like something in the song, like Blind Man's Bluff, that name came from a song, I think, by Metric uh, that I was listening to one day. And they they said Blind Man's Bluff, like in the chorus. And that's a cool fucking name. So I jot down these names and then seeing cool color combinations and having different concepts and then just kind of putting it back all together. So a lot of our branding and, and marketing stuff, has come from outside sources that inspired me, whether it was directly like using the name, which I thought was cool that I heard in a song somewhere or whatever. And then just trying to line it up in a way that makes sense in my mind of, you know, like Eastern standard, we have all of our sizes have names as well. Uh, you know, King is dead. Uh, Long live the King. You know, you have like last payday marquee cream crush. You have all this shit. But to me, it just made sense in my head. Okay. Eastern standard. we got to have an old guy which needs to be like the, 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 the concept of my guy Evoca did that. And then we have all these sizes, but the sizes should be named also. And the sizes might not make sense to you, but to me in my head, 
that cigar needs to be cream crushed because it's a fucking Churchill and it makes sense to me. So, I mean, I think it's very different. I think a lot of cigar manufacturers, they have like marketing guys that they're like, make me a cigar ring. And then so you end up with a lot of shit that looks the same or the inspiration's coming from within instead of from the outside in. And you do have guys that are bringing stuff from the outside in, but I think largely, you know, like when I was with Christian, this guy, Volca, his first name's Elio, he created these boxes for Wynwood and he hand painted them all. And they were fucking brilliant. And he brought it in and Christian was not understanding what Elio had done. And so Elio brings in this box and Christian's like, mm, that's not a cigar box. This is a cigar box. And so the kid left like feeling a little dejected because he hadn't created a cigar box. He had put a painting on a cigar box, but it was cool and it was different. And then I'm like, whoa, not so fast. That's fucking awesome. And then so the Wynwood brand was built around this kid's paintings and artwork. And then we carried that forward with Caldwell along with other artists. So like all of our artwork, it's not, it's not like we had some graphic designer make the shit. They're all like curated paintings that were painted specifically for the brands. And then we like high res scan them and then work them into the labels. But it's, it's really cool. And when we started trying to market and sell the brand, retailers were confused because they're like, this doesn't look like anything else. I don't know if I can sell it. And we're like, well, that's exactly why you can sell it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe because it looks like nothing else, you can sell it. So there was, there was a lot of resistance to our brand. (laughs) In the beginning, and a lot of fear actually from my business partners because the initial response was very like head scratching. And that was also 10 years ago. Things have changed a bit in the industry since then. But when we started, you know, it's like, who the fuck is that? I'm like, who, like, who the fuck do you like? It's a piece of artwork, but it doesn't need to be somebody. And I still get that question in Europe. It's amazing. They're like, well, who is this? And I'm like, but in Europe, every brand needs a story. It's very old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like all of our marketing, you know, marketing branding, it's just taking outside influence and bringing it in. And even like the brand, the tea that we did with AJ, um, that artwork was created by a graphic designer who's a friend of mine, the actual like brand imagery. But all the writing on the box is either Matt Booth or my or AJ's handwriting. So we, I made them write down like six by 44 Lonsdale. And then we took all the handwriting, scanned it, and actually put the actual writing on the box. So it's not a font you can find. It's something that we built. And then we didn't know what to do color-wise. And then so I was like, all right, well, who's the, who is who needs to rely only on, like, a color palette to sell you shit? Like, the number one product, cologne. So I'm going to go buy Hugo Boss cologne. And I'm going to pay $90 for a fucking bottle, but I haven't smelled it yet. I mean, that's idiotic, but people do it. So then I started getting like cologne packaging and just color matching. So if you look at the tea, there's a box that's green. Go look at a fucking Hugo Boss cologne box. It's the same exact colors. We just ripped the colors because Hugo Boss paid like $200,000 to some idiot to come up with that box color combination, artwork, whatever. And then you can just go take that because you know it works. Because a lot of times cigar bands, you look at it and you're like, it doesn't quite click with you because the colors are wrong. Mm -hmm. But instead of like, we don't have the money to pay somebody to come up with this perfect color pa- palette. Just go steal it from somebody else that actually had the money to invest in that. Mm-hmm. And I think on our side, a lot like you see a lot of brands fail because they don't have good packaging. But you see a lot of brands succeed that are not necessarily great cigars because they do have good packaging. And packaging sells, you know. And I always say, you know, like my wife is 
very intelligent. She's cool. She's down to earth. We speak the same language. We're all, like, none of that matters. If I didn't think she was hot, I never would have fucking talked to her. <laughs> so it's the same thing That's with a cigar. The, that is, Preach, that is true. That is, yeah. that is damn even, true. Even if a retailer is like, man, this cigar is fucking amazing. And you look at it and it's unappealing to your eye. You're probably going to be like, yeah, you're never going to touch the it. next cigar that appeals to you. Absolutely. Yep. You're going to resist that. I mean, that's it's just like, you know, your, your, your buddy's wife's like, I got this friend. She's sweet. She's smart. It's like, yeah, she's probably fucking ugly. I don't want to meet her, <laughs> you know? And so we're drawn to things by our eyes. They have to appeal to us. And then you're not going to buy it again. Just like you're not going to go on the second date if there's not more behind, you know, oh, just that's the 100%. looks of the product. And that, that's, that's funny because there's, there's a, a quote um, by Winston Churchill. I'm sure you're familiar with the quote. I actually used this quote in my wedding vows um, uh, a couple of weeks ago is – uh, you know, uh, it says love is like a cigar. It's you're attracted by the the shape, you stay for the flavor, and you never you got to remember to never let the 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 fire go out or the the burn go out. Uh, but it's true is what attracts you to a cigar is the look. It's it's when you walk in a humidor, it's not like the first thing you get is the flavor of the cigar. The first thing you get, mm-hmm. the first sense that is triggered is your eyes. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing. Okay, then you can you know pick it up and smell it, and then if you choose it, you can smoke it in the flavors, and then if the flavors are good, it keeps you, and then you'll go back and you'll buy some more. But it's the first thing is the look, the marketing. How does it look? Because like you said, it could be the greatest cigar on the fucking planet, but if it doesn't appeal to your eyes, you're not going to smoke it. You're not going to pick it up. Hands down, regardless of how good it is, you're yeah. not going to pick it up. I mean, that's, that's going back to what I was saying. Like Growing up, I didn't have a... I mean, I'm a Jet fan, but when I was a little kid, I liked football teams based on what they looked like, their colors, their logo, whatever I thought was cool. And then when transferring over to cigars, like I was telling you, Rob, I looked at, I walked into a humidor and I was usually attracted to like the AJ Fernandez cigars because they always had really interesting logos. Blind Man's Bluff was always interesting to me. Long Live the King. I like the crown. Uh, who else has some cool logos? Um I mean, you like the uh, the the red and the gold, so you were attracted to like Opus X and, Ar- and Arturo Fuentes. Or even whole like line, Black, but still. Blackbird, Blackbird Jonas, his concept was, well, when I go into a humidor, I want my humidor box to stand out. I don't want it to blend in with the browns and the reds. I want to have purple. I want to have um, bright reds. I want things to pop. And when we made our cigar, that was my first initial thought. I said, I, I, don't, I want a color that pops. I want something to stand out and kind of be like, oh, that's a little bit different. Let me take a look at that. So branding, just like you said, with mm-hmm. women, with food, with cigars, with cars, if it doesn't look right, you're not even taking any kind of interest in it, even though regardless of how good it is. Well, that's like, you know, with your, with your whole line, I remember in, in Matadors is they had, you know, the Eastern Standard, Blind Man's Bluff, they had Long Live the King, The King is Dead, The Last Czar, The Anastasia, they had all of these lined up. And it's like, you pull up one, and I, for me, it was the, it was the Blind Man's Bluff, and I'm like, I got this, a question. Before you go on, I have a question about the Anastasia, but just okay. Remind me. But you know, I picked up the Blind Man's Bluff. Absolutely loved it. I said, "All right, I'm." Next time I went in, back to the same section. I said, "Okay, what's the next one?" And the next one was Long Live the King. I was like, "All right, picked it up, smoked it. Come back. The next one, the King is dead. Come back. The next one, the last." I just kept working my way down the thing because you're attracted by one. You smoke it. Flavors are fantastic. It pairs well or matches your palate. Boom. Now I'm hooked and. And so I have a question actually about some of the long the 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 long of the king and stuff. But ask your question about the Anastasia. Is it, okay? As is it Anastasia or is it Anastasia? How is it actually pronounced? 
Anastasia. Anastasia. Okay. okay. Or Anastasia. I don't know. Anastasia. <laughs> it's a Russian name. Okay. Now, for the Anastasia, I always thought the girl on the logo was the girl April from Parks and Rec. Is there any kind of coincidence with that? You're not familiar with that show. But I'm like, did he t- did he rip her face and just put on a cigar <laughs> no. because it looks just like her? <laughs> no, it's actually so it's like Czar Nicholas II. It's his daughter, but she was like not attractive. And back to the marketing, she's got to be fucking good looking, right? Yeah, so yeah. You can't put I some ugly chick on the on the cigar label. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a buddy of mine that's Russian, and I was like, I was doing the brand because we had done last Czar, and I'd mentioned the brand, and I'm like. He's like, you know, she wasn't good looking. I'm like, I know, but she has to be for our purposes. He's like, I got the girl for you. So he he owns a bar and uh, one of the bartenders in Moscow. So he took the picture and sent it to me. It was a and bartender the in Moscow. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Just some, ra- just some random. Does she even know? Did you even like, does he even let her know that it's. I don't know. I'm not sure if she knows. You should. You, she you posed should. for the picture, though. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah. You should send her a box and just be, just see if she knows. She's right. got she's got to know, right? I mean, I, mean, I wonder if she cigar. smokes cigars cuz how funny would that be? She goes in a cigar lounge, she smokes cigars, she finds this, she's like, "Why is my that, fucking that picture? Like why is my picture on a cigar?" <laughs> what did this guy do? No wonder why he wanted me a picture of my bar outfit. I thought he was just taking some pictures. I wanted to take some pictures. Yeah. So, I have I have a question about um because you had the Eastern Standard, you have Blind Man's Bluff, and then, you know, Anastasia but the three that were there's the long live the king, the king is dead, and the last czar, and those are all king related, right? And then even Anastasia is um, the czar's daughter. Uh, how did you come up with the, you know that I would call it the king series of of cigars because they're kind of all related, right? Long live the king, king is dead, and then the last czar, which is essentially a king. But yeah, so <laughs> excuse me when we. When we were blending King is Dead, Long Live the King, they were originally blended to be complementary cigars, meaning that like you smoke one and then you smoke the second one. So if you smoke King is Dead first and then you smoke Long Live the King, Long Live the King is enhanced by having smoked King is Dead first. We use that sales pitch for like 10 seconds and then retailers are like, wait a minute, so this shit doesn't taste good unless I smoke that one first and then we stopped. But so the concepts were like, you smoke this one and then you smoke that one. So they were complimentary, but in that order, King is dead longer than King, which it works brilliantly. But you can also smoke either one of them by themselves and it tastes great. But mm-hmm. then retailers are like, we work in an industry of like Neanderthals. So it's really hard to explain common sense shit to people. Yeah. So we dropped it right away, but then we wanted brand names that would illustrate that you, the minute this one goes out, you like that one. So there's never not a King. The minute the King dies, then there's a King. Long so the king. It, it was always, the king is dead. They say the king is dead. Everybody's sad. Long live the king. Everybody claps. So that's where that brand concept came from. And then we had Eastern Standard, which was a completely separate concept that came out at the same time. Those were the first three. And then Eastern Standard, the limited edition, became Last Czar. So that was technically an Eastern limited when it came out. That kind of like bridged the portfolios together. And then Savages was the, the Long Live the King limited edition it's got the same shape band and then anastasia is of course the daughter of uh czar nicholas ii so that was like you know we kind of tried to tie everything together um and then you have blind man's bluff yeah blind man but blind man's bluff so we have like caldwell collection and then blind man's bluff 
So we don't include that as like a Caldwell collection. Oh, product. really? I didn't know that. It's a, yeah. Okay. It's like the bitch redhead stepped. <laughs> you, you always need for, for, that I fucking love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, but it's just like, that's blind man's bluff. That doesn't count. We just kind of like alienate it. Like, like the sav- yeah, because Savages it's looks a- just like the um, the last czar. It's, it's, it doesn't look just like it, but it's the same, uh, uh, almost the same label, right? But you just have a, a secondary Savages band no, on the it. same label actually as Long Live the King. Long, I'm sorry, so Long, the, Live, you, Long Live the King. Yeah. 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 The artwork's different. And then it says Caldwell and Cyrillic on the side because we were trying to play into the whole Eastern European thing with it. Now, which one would you say is the most popular or, or the cash cow, if there is one, out of all the Caldwell cigars? Blind Man's Bluff. Yeah. Blind Man's Bluff is a fucking machine. That's why it's you love it. It's a machine. And it's funny because that's, funny that's not – I mean, I – it's I – mean, out of, out, of, out of all of – I think it's it's got to be my favorite. Not the just the just the – Traditional blind because yeah, there's a Connecticut and then there's a Maduro. Um, I like it's. I believe it's the Habano, right? You have a Habano wrapper on the uh, on the original. I, I that's got it. It's got to be my favorite out of Caldwell. I absolutely love that stick. Absolutely love it. And pair it with a cup of coffee. Pff, fucking forget about it. Yeah. Now the, the King was dead was for me first again. It was the wrapper, and the once I smoked that, I said, "Oh shit, this is fucking good." You know what? You work with Blackbird uh, and Jonas, but I believe when we first met him, I was smoking. The King is Dead, or Long Live the King, one or the other. I have a picture of it somewhere. I know what I was wearing when we met Jonas, but it was definitely a Caldwell cigar. I have to look back on it. But um, I have a two-parter here for you. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Buckle up it's here. A, Buckle up. What's, what is one of the things that you love about the cigar industry, and what's one of the things that you can't stand or hate about the cigar industry? Well, that's a good question. The th- so I love creating products, whether it's – the packaging, the branding, the marketing, the cigars, like I really enjoy like the backside. So if you correlate it to a restaurant, I like everything that happens until the plate is ready to go to the table. So I love all that shit. Um, I not necessarily dealing with the factories because that's a fucking nightmare. I mean, dealing with the factories is like a nonstop battle, whether it's rings, boxes, tobacco, cigar, like it's all a fucking nightmare. And it doesn't matter who you work with because we work with a lot of different companies. Um, but, and, and, but I very much dislike like the front of the house it, because like nothing interrupts your flow with the factories. Like with the factories, I'm the customer. And so therefore I do what I want to do. And then when you, when you face forward to the customer and then onto the consumer, it's different. And then they're your customer. And it's challenging because you can tell somebody the same thing 20 fucking times and they never hear you. So guys consistent, like I had, like it doesn't matter what it was. I mean, any fucking thing. And even our sales guys, it's like, you know, no, that's not the wrapper on this cigar or no, that's like, it's, it's, a, it's, if I only had to deal with the factories, I'd like, I'd be sitting on a beach with a fucking, you know, Virgin Pina Colada every day. There's nothing hard there. It's, it's like, it's smashing your fucking head against the wall nonstop every day is dealing with cigar factories and packaging factories and all that bullshit we deal with. But like, you know what you're going to do every day. You're going to wake up and smash your head against the fucking wall. When you deal with the consumers and the retailers, it's just like, <laughs> like it just deflates you. It fucking sucks. And it's like, the si- it's I the w- simple shit too, right? It's, it's like a very it's simple, simple concept. Shit. Like this is an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. 
Like that's yeah, what it it's is. Just dumb shit. Like, <laughs> and they go, oh, it's shit. it's like, a uh, Dominican. And like, no, no, it's not. Yeah, or like, <laughs> have you ever thought about using this binder? And you're like, <sighs> no, no. Why not? <laughs> I think that'd be great. You're like, because it wouldn't fucking burn. So you that's make a cigar why. then? You're, gonna, you're like, there's a reason no, why yeah, I make it, and you fucking sell it. Okay, just do your job, <laughs> right? So that so that would be the one thing that you dislike is dealing with all the factories and trying to. Tell people and the consumers, or not the consumers, retailers about this is what it is. Stop telling me how to make a cigar. Yeah, and it's not it's not by any means like that's not a broad stroke. It's actually like the broad stroke is I like all of it, but like one bad apple, and that's what happens. Mm. It's just like you know, like I, I every day, every day, it's like hey, this guy, you know, you sent him this, but you didn't send him the free goods. It's like yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, our factory fucking burned down. So we don't have free goods to send you right now. Like shit like that. And it's like, but you know this already. Or, mm. you know, just shit like that all the time. Or like you constantly, it's like, hey, I'm I'm missing this. And it's like, you know, before you freak the fuck out, maybe call the fact or the office and ask, you know, to track the package and realize that one box wasn't fucking delivered. And then the other thing that, that's a problem there is the accessibility of us to the retailers, because retailers will call me and they're like, hey, can you check with Trevor, who's my office manager, about this? And I'm like, I'm not at the office. You have his fucking phone number. Call him. But they do that all the time. They'll call me or text me or email me to ask my office manager something. And so like when that's happening 10, 15 times a day, you're just like, fuck me. And then that can spoil very quickly your entire day. But that's the way it is. But if if I could change anything in the industry, it's just like, you know, they all have cotton balls in their ears. Take them out. Fucking pay attention. We try to make it really fucking easy for you, you know, and, and just some shit. Like we have, like we do like branded content and like, we, you know, post shit. And then guys are like, hey, I saw you released a new cigar. It's like we've had that for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I- kudos for not looking at the sales sheet for 10 fucking years. And these are your sales guys that – that are out there pushing your stuff. Let's just say that nobody on that side of it is immune from these comments because right. they could be my in-house guys. It could be brokers. It could be retailers, consumers, but it's, it's like infuriating. <laughs> I bet, man. I bet. It's like talking to a wall. It's, it's it, when you, cause I can imagine that you're the kind of person that hates to repeat themselves. And when you say it once and then it doesn't stick and then you say it a second time and it doesn't stick and it's like three, four, five times, you're like, how many fucking times do I have to tell you the same thing before you before you get it? Usually the answer yeah. is if they just do a little digging, like there might be an email yes. or a note yes. or like maybe a quick Google search. Because I find a lot of people, you know, most people, I think, aren't adequate at listening or listen very well. And I'm guilty of it sometimes too. But sometimes when I'm about to ask a question, I've been finding myself more like, all right, hold on. Is there an answer here somewhere mm-hmm. before I, I ask this person for a third time of where is this or how can I do this? And usually if you just do a little bit digging, a little effort, you usually find the answer somewhere. Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing is a lot of people don't want to do that. It's like they don't even try. They're like, all right, I, uh, I need – what's the answer to this? And they just go right to the – take, Just take a second. Try to figure it out yourself. And then if you can't, okay, then you can reach out and try to get you know get some help because most of the time – it's going to be something very simple, and I think I think yeah, I think what what's a uh, a part of that is just the like you said, Justin, the instant gratification of communication. Mm-hmm. You can text, email, phone call, Facetime. 
there's so much access to instant communication. People are just easier to find it easier just to call you or text you like, hey, what's this real quick? Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that like I like I have one customer and he'll send me like 10 Facebook or Instagram messages. I check that shit like every few days. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a call. No problem. I'll close this out. Um, so he'll send me like social media messages and then he'll send me WhatsApp messages and then he sends me a fucking email and then he sends me a text or whatever and then he'll call me and I ignore the fuck out of him and then he'll call the office. This is in the course of like an hour and I'll get the call from the office. Like this guy's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, I saw his missed calls, but I'm fucking busy. Then I'll call him back and he's like, did you get my email, text or WhatsApp? I'm like, I haven't checked it yet. I called you back. Oh, I sent you an Instagram message. Check that. I'm like, dude, fuck you. Yeah, just tell like, me what, like, you. tell me what it is right now. Like, why can't, why don't you no. go back to the message and read me what the fucking message says? <laughs> okay. Like, wow. Wow. <laughs> it's scary. It's scary how people are just so willing just to be like, put it off on someone else and just be like, you know, just, just look like people that have all the time in the world to do things, especially business owners uh, time is a very precious commodity and most people Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't respect that that's the only commodity that we'll never we can never get more of that's it man that's it it's just i never understood like how how people's brains that do how how they work it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you just you know i never got i never said like my dad says there's a lot more dumb people out there (laughs) just take them all put them on a fucking island and see it's just it's just we can just look from from the outside and just monitor be like you know what we should do take them all put them on a fucking island and put some video cameras there that would be a reality tv show that i would watch that would be fucking hysterical there you go there you go (sighs) wow so anyway um so what are we at right now? We're about an at, a little over an hour. Hour fifteen. A little over an hour. Straight up hour fifteen. No, so, no fluff in between. I love it. So I wanted to I want to ask you this because this we you know we started in the beginning and we came we came all the way here, but I want to go even back to the beginning and even further back is how did you, you touched on it briefly, but how did you first start smoking cigars? Because you said you were an avid cigar smoker, you know, up until the point of when you made that sales pitch at the dinner but how did you do you remember when you first picked up like your first cigar and how you got into really loving cigars and yeah. being an avid so, so tell us that story that's the real <laughs> so beginning I, I was like i was a very bad kid i was the kid where it's like if robbie call was there you're not going i was that fucking <laughs> yeah, who were you the guy in high school i was, I was gonna say yeah you said you were a bad kid in high school but like how bad are we talking no. here like really bad, <laughs> like, like incredibly. Like stay like away was, from Robbie Coleman. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Well, let's put it this way: I graduated high school from a portable classroom, so it was a like a trailer off campus by myself with one teacher and a policeman with a gun. What? Yeah, that's yeah, that's bad. But I swear to God, to you, like I, I'm not even kidding you. They completely separated me from the entire school. I had to go to like this alternative school, which was like 12 of these trailers. Each one had basically like one person that would teach you everything. And then there were armed security. Really? Like I, like I was that, I was fucking really bad, very bad. And anything you can imagine, like just, I was the, but I was that kid. Like you're not, if Robbie Caldwell's going, you're not going. I was that kid. So, but when I was 12, that was like, well, Earlier than 12, I experimented with effectively everything, and I liked cigars. 
So one day my brother-in-law, my, my sister and my brother-in-law were house sitting. My mom was out of town, babysitting, whatever. And my brother-in-law comes in the backyard and I'm smoking a cigar. Do you, remember what, do you remember what cigar it was? It was a bearing cigar that came in a tube that I stole from a like fucking CVS or whatever. <laughs> it was called uh, Eckerd Drugs. So they used to have like the tobacco on a fucking aisle, not behind the counter. So I'd stolen these cigars. So he catches me and he brings me down to El Credito, which was Ernesto Carrillo's factory in Little Havana, buys me like a huge cigar to try to make me sick so I wouldn't smoke anymore. And instead of that, I like fell in love. And then he had also made the mistake of going in, because he smoked cigars, to going into a retailer in Miami that's close to my house and buying some cigars. And the guy was kind of nice. So I went back on my bike and I'm a big guy and I was always a big guy. So I went in and I like gave the guy 20 and I'm like, Peter sent me, he wants like a little sample of cigars. And the guy sold me a couple, like four cigars or whatever. This is like 92, three, four or five, some shit like that. So he sold me some cigars and he continued to sell me cigars. So I remember when I smoked the, it was like a, a double Corona size credito that I'd smoked from Carrillo's factory. And I was like, what the fuck? Like it, it just, you know, it struck that chord. And then the retailer was named Henry Villar, Maccabi Cigar Bar in South Miami. And I used to ride my bike down there and get cigars. And then I started realizing like shit, you know, so I started developing a palate, I guess, very early. And then I just continued smoking, you know, until I got into the industry. So your brother-in-law's plan backfired. Yeah. yeah. Big time. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard, I heard some stories uh, like Tony Gomez told us, I think his father or, or maybe his friend was trying to, from LFD Cigars, was like, yeah. My father made me smoke a cigar. He told me to inhale it, and then I inhaled it and got sick. He said, well, that's what you don't fucking do with cigars, so <laughs> never do that again. And he's like, after that, I kind of fell in love with cigars, and I realized what it was. But, yeah, I find more stories with people in the cigar industry that people either try to guide them away from cigars or they make them inhale cigars, and they get sick from it, and somehow it has an adverse reaction, and they get attracted to it more. That's hilarious because he tried to get you to go away from it, and he just got you – even deeper and just yeah. fell in love with it. You still bring it up today? Like, thanks thanks for doing that for me? No, actually, I've never addressed it with him, but he buys cigars from me. <laughs> how? Full not, circle, baby. Talk Full about, circle. yeah, talk about how the tables have turned, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a fantastic, actually. Yeah. I would, I would, that's like almost uh, like wedding speech worthy or like success speech worthy. Like, hey, Thanks to my brother-in-law. Here I am today with my successful cigar business. So <laughs> kudos to you, my friend. Thanks a lot. I love it. Oh, man. So now, now, okay, now let's take it all. Like I said, we went all the way back to the beginning before uh, the beginning of Caldwell. Now take us uh, towards the most recent and the now for Caldwell is what is, like, what's the next big thing for Caldwell Cigars? Mm. What is, what is, what's going to happen in the next five years for Caldwell Cigars? Well, so you, so our factory burned down about three weeks ago and we lost a, like we, well, we lost a, was it your, was your, was that the part of the Aventura, uh, warehouse that burned down too? Yeah. So we, so we lost, like they lost about a million cigars, 840,000 were ours. Um, so when we started producing cigars with them, they were basically in a garage and then we've grown through three factories with them. And then we account for about 85% of their production. So we got fucking hammered. We got, uh, I mean, we lost like almost half a million dollars worth of packaging and then, you know, 850, 840,000 cigars. So we got hammered. Um, a lot of the brands, 
that we make, we process the tobacco ourselves there. So it's like we buy it and then we do additional fermentations mm-hmm. and like age it and shit. And so we really, I mean, it was really like, you know, like swift kick to the nuts. So we're discontinuing La Barba Red and Purple, um, which we manufacture for Tony Bellotto of La Barba Cigars. We're discontinuing Savages, Lazar, Eastern Standard Sun Grown, Pacific Standard. And I think that's it. I might be forgetting one. You got any insurance oh, money from that? Midnight Express. Not, there's not enough to cover anywhere near the losses. Wow. So we'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, so we're, so if you would ask me the question a month ago, it would be a different answer. But now it's like, okay, so we're – those brands were we discontinued for a variety of reasons. Some of them might be – you know, it takes us a very long time to process the tobacco or, or in the case of one of Tony's cigars, there's tobacco that we would procure just for – that cigar and then some of the cigars as well we were buying very vintage tobaccos that we had enough of to you know so every brand's kind of got its story of why we're not going to continue them or it could just be you know like we're starting from a dead stop to move forward you can't put everything back in place we have to carve out a couple brands so that i mean that sucks but it also it's one of those moments of reflection where it's like okay so all this shit's coming out so what can we do so i think that in five years, you'll probably see like a more cohesive company that has brands that, like you were saying, that tie together a little bit better in terms of our branding and marketing, because maybe some stuff was lost. And then also we've had some stuff, like we did a, a thing called Caldwell Crafting Curated, which were iterations of brands that we introduced at the trade show, small quantities. And some of them really did fucking amazingly well. So like one of them, which fits right in, is called Antoinette. It was a Culebra that we did. But guys went nuts for the blend. They went nuts for the Culebra, all that shit, type of shit. So we're going to build that into a core brand. So I think that, you know, in five years, we'll have a more cohesive portfolio that, that just kind of works together a little bit better than maybe what we had. And then, you know, fine tuned. So, you know, it's just a lot of work, but I think, I think we'll emerge as a stronger company with like maybe more clear image to the consumers and retailers. Yeah. So, th- so that that Culebra, I'd be very interested to to smoke that Culebra. So, for for listeners and watchers that may not be familiar with what a Culebra actually is, but a Culebra is the three cigars intertwined into essentially, or three skinny cigars intertwined in a into one smoke. Correct. Yeah. So, I'd be very interested to to smoke that. But I have a, a question on that one. Is I've seen some people they actually, and, and the backstory behind the Culebra is that they were. You know, they were taking out the people that were rolling at cigars way back. They were taking too many cigars out. So they said, hey, we take these three skinny ones. We put them together and we can take these out. And it's one cigar, right? The rollers that were taking some from the production. It's one cigar technically. Meanwhile, it's it's three. But do you take the three cigars apart and smoke them separately? Or do you smoke them all together? That's the only way to smoke it. <laughs> is to take them apart? Yeah. So, so the, the, the history that I'm familiar with is the same thing you just described, except that they would pack some additional tobacco inside and then put a wrapper on the outside. So it looked like a giant, like perfecto. Wow. And then the wrapper would come off. The bits of tobacco would come out. They'd roll a fourth cigar with a scrap that was kind of like making this giant cigar. And then they'd have the three cigars braided together, which also acted as currency in Cuba. So guys would transact mm. with these Culebra cigars. So, but they should be separated and smoked as three separate cigars. Now, are the three, are they the same exact blend? Yeah. Same exact blend, just twisted together and you're supposed, now are you supposed to, yeah. um, 
I imagine, can you straighten them out and smoke them? No. It's just, it's kind of yeah, like, you, a, you smoking like a curly to, fry. I mean, yeah. I didn't Probably imagine damaged. it would do more harm than good. Probably. Yeah, and actually, we thought about making a Culebra that was three different cigars, but back to the the, the complication of trying to explain to a retailer. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's like, like nine well, different, he, ten different ones. Know, he, he liked this one, but he didn't like that one. Ah, can you make one that's just this fucking blend? And you're just like, you're like, guy, you. you don't understand that the three leaves, they all blend well together. It's like when you had the long live the king and the king is dead. Like, supposed to smoke? Yeah, it's probably going to cause much more, more, more harm. harm than good. Yep. But I'd be very interested to try that cigar. I, I always was fascinated about it. It's a very unique I cigar. Never one before. You don't yep. see a whole lot of them. I've actually smoked them both. I've smoked one taking them apart and I smoked one keeping them all together. Um, and it is much easier uh, and better to smoke <laughs> them when they're all apart. Because as they because because as they start smoking down, it starts splitting apart and you got like these three. It's just it's a problem. But I'd be very interested to, to, to try that one. Well, uh, Robert, it's coming down to an hour and a half. I know you're a busy man. You gave us plenty of your time, which we appreciate. Yes. So at the end of the episode, we usually like to give you the red carpet, kind of just spit out, plug away what's coming up next, where we can find you on social media, you know, where your website is and stuff like that. So just plug away. As if they already don't know. (laughs) It's just another opportunity to plug for the people who are newer there. Sure. So uh, the next thing that's coming for Caldwell is Long Live the Queen, which was supposed to be end of this month, but it's going to be like probably mid-November for that. So that's very exciting. It's Cameroon wrapper, really beautiful packaging. So make sure you try that. Lost and Found, we have 22 Minutes to Midnight, the Criollo and Maduro, which we're just launching. And then our social, which, by the way, the best fucking cigars we've ever made are the 22 Minutes that's the Anastasia of Lost and Found. Um, our website's callwellcigars.com. We also have a merch store, so make sure you get some of our fucking merch because we got good shit. And then our Instagram is at callwellcigars and then at Lost and Found Cigars. I want to mention the, uh, the, the merchandise. I did see that. I was, I was scrolling through. I actually sent it to Eric. I was scrolling through the website. I was on the mobile platform. I was like, wow, I love the way that this mobile platform is laid out. And then he sent back. He's like, "Yeah, I love the merch too." And I was going through the merch. I'm like, man, this is some good stuff. <laughs> it was. Like, I was taking notes. Yeah. So I'm like, mental notes. I'm like, we got to do this with our our website, blah blah. blah. So, but um, but Robert, thank you very much uh, for joining us here in the Burndown Podcast. We had a blast. We love getting to know you. I uh, love smoking the Blind Man's Bluff. We appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your busy, busy schedule. Um, we hope to stay in touch and uh, maybe we'll get you back on uh, again in the future after you come out with the uh, 22 minutes to midnight and uh, if you're ever in the New York, of the queen if you're ever in New York let us know we'd love to smoke a cigar with you maybe even have you sounds in the studio sounds good perfect alright brother thank you so much again and uh, we'll send you thank off, you guys you know with our signature cheers chin chin salute Robert thank you again brother thank you guys <laughs> <laughs>